This is the remix. This is the remix. Ignition. Uh, fresh out the kitchen. <laughs> what is it? Hot and fresh out the kitchen. Oh, wait. We're we not supposed to say that anymore, right, girl? We can't, <laughs> no, do, the, girl. We can't do a little R. Kelly anymore. You know, we can't do no R. Kelly, girl. And you know, I was an R. Kelly girl. Damn. <laughs> we still can't do no R. Kelly girl. Damn. Okay. Just forget that. Forget that. Forget that. Um, Welcome back to a special episode of Two Safe Queens, one of the few places in the posphere where you can hear a conversation about politics, dick, and black legends. Uh, you might remember us putting out a similar show this past Wednesday, which you're not going to find no more. <laughs> Ooh, ooh, ooh. Uh, you took her off already, girl. Did you delete her? Uh, she you will be deleted by the uh, time y'all hear this. I'll oh, say that. okay, okay, um, good. I hated that up. I, I, I didn't like the format of that episode. Yeah, you know, girls, we felt it just didn't do us justice. It didn't do the legends that we're going to talk about it justice. Didn't. It didn't. Um, yeah. and so we're back together to do a little redo. Um, and yeah, we just, we just don't, we don't know that girl no more. She just wasn't right for us. So. <laughs> yeah, we don't know her. Yeah. We don't know her, as Mariah would say. <laughs> Um, I'm your hostess Malachi, and I'm joined in person, or more in person than the last episode, by ghetto historian Miss Deborah Rowe. How are you, sis? Hey, girl. I'm just over here, you know, so trying to celebrate the last day of Black History Month. Come girl. on, that's with all it. I'm trying to do. Yeah, Come on, you know, tell them. Uh, yeah, girl. I mean, in, in March, March is not a loss because we go into Women's History Month in March, FYI. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. yeah, just. On this 228, I'm just celebrating. Happy birthday, Miss Malcolm MJ Harris, FYI. Yeah. Her birthday's February 28th. And, um, but girl, I got a Black History Month story for you, girl. Love it. Yeah, girl. And it's a gag because the subject of the story, she actually just texted me with some tea <laughs> right as, you know, we're about to record this, girl. Okay. So this is on some Black History tea because. Here's where it is. Here was this is fish that we went to college with, Blackfish. Oh, um, I fish I know. A fish you know, yeah. Okay. I, won't, I won't even tell you who it is. Not on the air or no, no, uh, no. We're well, fine. I'm, yeah, but just sometimes um, you talk talk about fish that I don't like. I maybe I maybe no. Met this once is or fish twice. you definitely okay. know, girl cool. from college. This is fish you know. And um, <laughs> so why know. I call I call this Black History Tea mm-hmm. is because um. Fish, this is a beautiful black fish, like beautiful black fish, right? Talented, super smart, very talented in multiple ways, artistically and otherwise. Mm. And I know who it is. (laughs) Yeah, 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 you know. Okay. So she she has pulled a lot of fine men over her um, dick career, right? And so... (laughs) In her relationship <laughs> career, she's pulled a lot of... I always say she can pull some fine niggas. Ooh. She's pulled the men, right? Uh, black men, Arab men, white men, Ooh. you know, European men, all types oh, of men. Taste right? the rainbow. This is black history. This is black history, girl. Like uh-huh. the, the men that, even though all the men aren't black, she's black. So I consider it, oh, I consider it a black history, girl. Okay. So... So she was kind of in this relationship situationship, which, you know, may or may not be ending. Uh, you know, I'll have to look at my text later, but she was in this situationship. And the, and the gag is this. This is the gag. Um, mm-hmm. I was telling her, we were, we were texting one day and I was like, girl, you know what you should do? You should make a scrapbook, girl. 
you should make a scrapbook of all them fine niggas you've been with and <laughs> like a dick scrapbook mm, bitch and keep mm-hmm. it at your mama house girl keep it at your mama house <laughs> so that when you get into a relationship and get married and stuff like that you don't your man doesn't all of a sudden look under the bed and find it girl you keep it at your mama's house and, and you can come back and go through it and reminisce and look at the fine memories. Oh. You know, print out, all, print out all the pictures from your text messages, girl, of all those dick pics, all, you know, all the pics off Facebook from those men and Instagram. But wouldn't and stuff you be like worried that. about her mom get seeing it? Oh, no, girl. Her and her mom, they keep it real with each other. Oh, okay. Her mom be like, yeah. oh, yeah, girl. Let me see some of yeah. these pictures. <laughs> yeah, girl. So, girl, when you go back in 10 years from now, whatever, you can reminisce. Even if you're married and all that, you can reminisce about all that good dick you have and all those fine <laughs> men you've been with. Yeah, because these men will be so fine, girl. I'd be like, ooh, girl, when you done with him, send him my number, girl. <laughs> you know, these niggas would be fine as fuck. She done pulled some fine ones, girl. Wow. So I just want to acknowledge her for Black History Month because that is part of black history. You know, <laughs> black you know, history, cute, black cute black, scrapbooks. That, yeah, yes. You know, cute blackfish pulling these fine men. That's black history. You know, yes, we can, girl. <laughs> yes, we can. She say play day, okay? You know. So I want to celebrate her for Black History Month and all the fun uh, that she put. I'm happy for her. Let her be an inspiration because yeah. post Rona yeah, life, I'm ready to start. I'm, a, I'm ready to start a whole website, do a whole photo book. I'm 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 trying to do that too. I think I really... you want to do a scrapbook, girl. You going to do a scrapbook? Oh yeah, girl. It'll be available at www.gettingmydick.com. <laughs> yeah. um, look out for it. Girl. Oh, you're going to do a virtual online scrapbook? Yeah, girl, I wanted yeah. her to literally print these pictures out of these niggas, like print these pictures out and like put them in the, you know. But I think about doing my own scrapbook because me and her, we share our list. Like I share oh, okay. my list, she shares her list, you know, and we share our list. And so that's how I just got the inspiration for the scrapbook. And yeah. I just, I just, you know, her niggas are finer than some of the ones that I pulled. So I just thought she really needed to memorialize some of them. Good for her. You know, thank yeah. her for her service. Yeah. Th- yes. That. Thank you, girl. <laughs> thank you for your service. Well, girl, we got a show, um, a show for y'all. <laughs> Didn't already know. <laughs> we're gonna dive right in because we're giving Black Legends tea for literally the end of Black History Month. Um, we wanted to highlight two legends in particular. Um, that we think, um, we, some of us, we kind of knew about some of us. I, I think one, I definitely didn't know about and really got into, um, but they're legends that I think are getting more attention, but in the past weren't really kind of getting their flowers, um, and getting their acknowledgement. So this first one is going to be Miss Claudette Colvin. Um, what do you want to say about her girl? Who is she? Yes, girl. So Miss Claudette Colvin, she is a civil rights icon, icon, born September 5th, 1939 in Montgomery, Alabama. And, you know, her parents weren't able to provide for her and care for her. So she was actually raised by a great aunt and great uncle on her mom's side Mm. in a segregated black neighborhood there in Montgomery, Alabama. Um, And she actually had two sisters, one of whom became ill and died two days before her 13th birthday. So this, you know, Miss Claudette saw a lot of trauma in her life early on as, you know, as, as, as young black children at the time, probably, you know, a lot of, a lot of them did. And she Mm -hmm, was one who mm -hmm. dealt with a lot of trauma early in her life. And yet she became the inspiration for the Montgomery bus boycott girl Mm. because prior nine months before Rosa Parks did it, you know, and we all know Miss Rosa Parks. She's, you know, she is someone who's heavily celebrated during Black History Month. You got, mm-hmm. Think about when you were a kid, the main two people who were always highlighted in Black History Month were Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks, Ms. right? Rosa Parks. And maybe, and maybe Harriet Tubman too, mm-hmm. you know, and Harriet Tubman too. But mm-hmm. those three really would be the, the three that were really heavily featured 
um, at these white schools that I went to. It was like those were the only three black people, even though they did ama- amazing <laughs> things, who did anything spectacular. But and, and yeah, obviously, gotta, we know they're yeah, yeah. I got a couple extra cause being from Philly, like um, Phyllis. Oh, there was a black poet. I'm like, her name. oh, Phyllis Wheatley, girl. Phyllis Wheatley. Phyllis I got Wheatley. Mary McLeod Bethune, um, because I actually went oh, to school. Oh, y'all threw Mary McLeod Bethune in there. Yeah, you know, the great That's educator. Good. Um, so yeah, we got a you know Philly be holding it down. Philly was trying to do it. So did you go ever ahead, go to a majority? Did you ever go to majority black school in your uh-huh. life at yeah. any point? It, it was oh, for, for, um, yeah, for like uh uh mostly it was for grade school middle school so it wasn't i didn't get really back into like prep life until like seventh grade and then okay. from there so but yeah I, yeah i've been at majority black schools but i was See, still and the thing is it was still like yeah. in a nicer it's or not shouldn't say, but like it wasn't like even in philly it was like in, in the a, hood it wasn't in the hood it wasn't a it, well, yeah. black because i was still yeah. you know black middle class upper middle class yeah team. No, it's funny because like I I never have gone to a majority black school in my life, never. Hmm. And but oh, but the majority, but you've been to pretty much the same school, right? For like a lot of large. It was like it was like one K through eight school, hmm. and then one then the feet, which is the feeder school to the high yeah. school I went to. Yeah, so I moved around so, almost almost sometimes almost every year. I went to a different school because you know my you know my dad was on that hustle girl. He was on yeah moving yeah. us. <laughs> Yeah, he was. That's some black history, too. That's some black history. <laughs> that's history I don't want to talk but, about. Yeah, 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 I won't forget that history. Fuck that black history, girl. Fuck, Fuck that, that black, black history, history sis. Yeah, yeah, girl. But anyway, no, why I say that is because I know we're getting off topic, but like the black, the, the in Detroit public schools and like the majority black schools in my area, they did like lots of black history. Mm-hmm. Like they learned about many more figures, but me going to these white schools, you know, it was always Rosa Parks, who was wonderful, and, and Martin, Dr. Martin Luther King and Harriet Tubman. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't learn about Claudette Colvin literally probably until, you know, probably in the last five years I'd even heard her name mentioned. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah. Yeah, so she actually go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just gonna say, say it's funny because I didn't know her name, but I feel like I kind of had it in the back of my mind that Rosa wasn't the first because it was that great Boondocks episode, Return of the King, when Martin Luther King comes back, and okay. it's during that episode that their grandpa talks about how he was the first one. <laughs> oh, <okay, laughs> and okay. I like how Rosa Park got all the attention, which is funny because that's kind of if you, I'll let you go back into it, girl. This is kind of what happens here. It's so funny. I knew there was this black Republican man. He's deceased now. R.I.P. He was like, he's like the stepfather to one of my mom's good friends, but mm-hmm. one of my mom's real good friends. So our families were real close, mm-hmm. but he was a stepfather to her because her father had died a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And he's like, a he's like, he gives me some uncle ruckus tea. He gave mm-hmm. some uncle ruckus tea from boondocks. <laughs> and he used to say, he was so ignorant. He would say, all Rosa Parks did was not get her lazy ass up that's, off that bus. That's she exactly did. What? <laughs> <laughs> oh shit this nigga was just Swear like uncle ruckus in real word life. for word girl he was yes. like i don't know why we give her all that credit her lazy she just digging her lazy ass off the <laughs> listen this man probably died in like maybe like 2000 oh, and like eight or 2009 but he was just he get uh, he was a, this black republican man he gave yeah. uncle there are those I can't blacks believe, out there there are those he was just there. like uncle ruckus and literally yes. he said that about yes. rosa parks but that's <laughs> off topic because you know rosa parks rosa parks uh died lived and died in detroit here at the end of her life you know mm-hmm. she worked for congressman john conyers who i actually interned oh, yes, and worked for yes. and i'm going to bring that up in, a, in an episode that's going to come up mm-hmm. when we talk about an issue that's near and dear to my heart that congressman conyers spearheaded but here's the gag about so go back to going back to Claudette Coleman uh mm-hmm. Claudette Colvin rather 
She was the real she was the real inspiration for the Montgomery bus boycott because on March second, nineteen ninety five, when or nineteen fifty five rather, when she was just fifteen years old, she she refused to give up her seat to a white woman after the bus driver commanded her and three other black women in a row to move and make room for a white woman who mm. was standing. And so, and it's funny because the three other white women who are all her senior and older than her, they were all adults. They actually moved, but she refused. Okay. Mm. And she actually, um, and then another pregnant black woman got on the bus. Her name was Ruth Hamilton and she got on and sat next to Claudette Colvin. She said, I'm not moving either. Okay. Yes. But here's the gag. Here's the gag. Uh, Hamilton, the pregnant lady, Mrs. Hamilton, uh, what happened was the bus driver was like, okay, he told one of the black men that was in the row behind her to get up and to make space for her. And so she actually did end up moving to that spot. Mm. But Claudette Colvin told the driver she was still not going to get up from her spot <laughs> for that white bitch, right? Fuck her. <laughs> Fuck that white bitch, right? <laughs> so he said, okay, if you're not going to get up, I'm going to get a policeman. And the police we arrived. Go. Police state. Yeah, the police arrived. Oh, the police were actually the ones that convinced the black man behind, sitting behind in the next row to get up for the the pregnant lady, the pregnant black lady, Miss Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so, but when Claudette Colvin refused to move at all, she was forcibly removed from the bus and arrested, right? And so if you think about it, this event took place nine months before NAACP secretary uh, Rosa Parks was arrested for the same offense. That was on December 1st, 1955. This took place on March 2nd. So we're actually coming up on the anniversary of this, mm. March 2nd, right? Um, and then, so, but here's the gag. So here, here's the gag. So Rosa Parks was arrested for the same offense and Claudette Colvin's uh, mother told her, because Claudette Colvin never really got her her laurels for this or her flowers for this, her mother told her, oh, well, let Rosa be the one. Let Rosa be the one to get the credit because white people aren't going to be bothered. Uh, they're not going to bother Rosa like they did to you when they, you know, gave you death threats and all that. Mm. And um, and also because Claudette Colvin, you know, for a number of reasons, they didn't feel like she was the right one to represent the movement at the time because she didn't have straight hair. Mm. You know, what some people call good hair, ignorantly mm-hmm. call it good hair. But she didn't have straight hair like Rosa Parks did. She wasn't light skinned like Rosa Parks mm. was. You know, she was browner, darker skin. She was a teenager at the time. And then she became pregnant. Yeah. Not long after it. the incident. Not long after this uh, incident here. So... The leaders in the civil rights movement, you know, they were always trying to keep up appearances mm-hmm. and do Black respectability. respectability yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, because it was the 50s. I mean, I, you know, you see all the pictures of the black people in the 50s and all their suits and mm. all that, you know, not. Um, and so they were trying to make the protesters more appealing to white white moderates, probably right. and white nor- white northerners, I'm sure. And even mm. white moderates maybe in the South. And so, you know, and on that day, on March 2nd, 1955, Claudette Colvins was screaming out. She was way ahead of her time because she was screaming out, this is my constitutional right. This is my constitutional right. You know, 15 years old, 1955, um, in Montgomery, Alabama. She decided that she wasn't going to move. And she said that history kept her stuck to that seat. She said mm. she felt the hand of Harriet Tubman pushing down on one shoulder Ooh, and, Sir, yes. and Sojourner Truth pushing down on the Ooh. other. And so she was arrested, handcuffed, arrested, and forced to be the being the famous um, black abolitionist. And, yes. You know, yes. A lot of people know Harriet Tubman, but some people might not know Sojourner Truth. Some people don't know Sojourner Truth. So, yes, good point. 
And um, and so she w- she was forced to be removed from the bus. And even as she was removed from the bus, she kept shouting, this is my constitutional right. This is my mm. constitutional right. They're being violated. They're being violated. And the police officers, they took her to the station. And when, as they were, you know, driving her to the station, they made sexual comments about her body. This 15-year-old girl, these two white police officers, they took turns guessing her bra size throughout the ride. Mm-hmm. And then they, then they charged her with disturbing the peace, violating segregation laws, and battering and assaulting a police officer, even though she says there was absolutely no assault. And then one of the police officers sat in the backseat with her, which made her really scared that he was going to sexually assault her because she said that happened frequently at the time, especially to black girls. Mm, mm, mm. And so she was later bailed out by her minister who told her that really that that she had brought the revolution to Montgomery, which she did, which she did because she was the first one to do this, but she never got credit for it. You know, in her, but her pastor had acknowledged you're the one you, you're the one who brought the revolution to Montgomery. And so, and so Miss Claudette Coven is actually still alive Come and on. living in Harlem in New York city at 81 years old. Um, she went on, she had two sons. She was actually a, an assistant in a nursing home in Manhattan for 35 years. Mm-hmm. And then she had two sons, one of whom is actually unfortunately deceased who mm-hmm. died at 37 years old. But I think her legacy does indeed really live on because she was one of the five plaintiffs in the court case that made it all the way to the Supreme Court that actually overturned bus segregation in Montgomery Mm -hmm. called uh, Browder versus Gale. And that was in November 1956 when that that said that bus segregation in Montgomery, Alabama was unconstitutional under the 14th Amendment and the Equal Protection Clause to the U.S. Constitution. Yeah, um, I I saw an interview where she said she's like, if people don't know about me, she doesn't really care about that. But she's like, people should know about this case because this is yes. was so um, pivotal to help, especially a southern case at that. Of course, led by a black lawyer, a black man. I'm, I blank on his name, but this is so pivotal to help you know set the stage for that kind of work to overturn these Jim Crow laws and things like that. Yeah, so that case is actually really important, actually. And the, the lawyer who represented both uh, Miss Colvin and that case, Browder versus Gale, his his name was actually Fred Gray or Freddie mm. Gray. Yeah, and he was really active in... He's not as well-known as, like, Thurgood Marshall, who, you know, argued Brown versus the Board of Education, but he's actually... A, he was actually a very prominent civil rights attorney out of Montgomery, Alabama at the time. Mm-hmm. And he actually represented Claudette Colvin in her um, criminal case and then also represented that case before the Supreme Court, Browder versus Gale. Love it. Uh, yeah, so um, just a couple more things I wanted to say... Um, yeah, so that case is super important. There there were four other, I think, female plaintiffs in that case. Um, and just noting too, that Claudette Colvin's moment of activism, it just like Rosa Parks, her moment wasn't random on December 1st, 1955, even though she said her feet were tired. It was more than that. It was actually planned. And so was Claudette Colvin. She said this was not solitary or random. She had actually planned this because she actually had high ambitions you know, to become involved in civil rights and politics. And she actually even dreamed of becoming president of the United States. You know, her, her political inclinations um, came about because of an incident with her classmate, his, or or schoolmate, his name was Jeremiah Reeves. And his, his case uh, was the first time she had really noticed the work of the NAACP because he was found having sex with a white woman who claimed she was raped though he swore it was consensual. And then he was actually executed for his, for, um, for having sex with that mm. white woman. So, mm. 
um, she actually was really inspired by what happened to him, that tragedy, um, to become more involved in civil rights and politics. So, yeah, it wasn't random. It wasn't just a one-day thing, just like it wasn't for Rosa Parks on December 1st, 1955. All of it was planned. In this case, Claudette Coven planned it herself. In that case, Rosa Parks planned it in coordination with the local NAACP chapter there in Montgomery. I love that. I love mm-hmm. that. Um, so talking about Claudette Coven, the other kind of revolutionary figure that I wanted to talk about and really connected with was Patrick Kelly, who kind of called himself a black male Lucille Ball, uh, partly because he just didn't take himself very seriously. And he was someone who was into camp and um, kind of reappropriating images, especially black images and black culture um, and putting them on the runway and put it doing this in fashion. Um, some of the designers that he impacted today are people like Jeremy Scott, who does a lot of campy and really high fashion designs for people like Nikki and Gaga and Beyonce. But even thinking about Sean John and FUBU, which was just putting kind of urban wear on the runway. Um, so Patrick Kelly was born um, September 24th, 1954 in Vicksburg, Mississippi. So we're talking Deep South, um, Jim Crow era, um, segregation. Like he went to a segregated high school. Um, he talked about when he was a kid that, you know, back then, a lot of times, in the, especially in the South, the black schools would get like pass me down um pass me down textbooks from white schools and oftentimes the white kids knowing that will put a lot of racist um things and you know say a lot of racist things in these textbooks this is you know a lot of stuff that really impacted him and he had to do with so many trial tribulations similar to this um and he really was someone who was kind of like understood our history like he went to jackson state university where he studied black history and art history so kind of was able to kind of bring that kind of context and background of our history into his fashion work mm. um off topic but i love that was my favorite class in high school that i took was ap ap art history I really art, art appreciate yeah what did you like about it I just learning, like, because now just from that one class in high school, I never even got the chance. You know, I was a business girl. I never even got the chance to take art history in college, Mm. really. But just I can go to a museum and, like, know some, like, the category a painting might be in or the Mm. artist or know something about the art. Because we had to literally, we went through slides every day and we had to remember, like, the the painting, the artist, the context. And we had to do it for hundreds and hundreds of paintings or sculptures or or yes yeah, so it was a very like even when i go to museum today i use things from that class from high school mm. but it's off topic but yeah keep going girl keep no going. i was patrick kelly uh, <laughs> no i mean because you used to used to still love art museums today i love um, museums i do i love museums but um but yeah going to patrick kelly i mean he was just like a hustler so after school he moved to atlanta he worked at a east saint laurent um boutique and there he was working there, but also like kind of modifying coats and like dresses. And it was there that he connected with a certain black supermodel. Do you know who it is, girl? I think I read it was Pat, Pat, Pat Cleveland. Cleveland. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And it's so interesting because she then became pretty much like one of his lifelong friends. Cause not only did she first connect with him in Atlanta and like encourage him to go to New York, but then after that, she literally bought him the one way ticket that one-way ticket that would get him to Paris. She literally was like, you need to go to Paris. Got him a one-way ticket to go oh. there. And ultimately, she was, um, you know, because New York didn't work out. I'll get into that in just a minute. But, you know, she was basically the the person who was really encouraging him and just saw something special in him. Um, and it's so... You know what's interesting? There's been some some pieces on her celebrating her recently, mm. Pat Cleveland. Y'all girls couldn't go look her, look her up, Pat Cleveland, but she was one of the black 
the black supermodels at that time. And yeah, she was uh, the precursor to like, you know, Naomi, Mm -hmm, one of the precursors mm -hmm. to like, to the Naomi and Tyra. Yeah. Era, yeah, yeah, uh, and like she, I think she was the same era as like, um, or maybe she's probably a bit she older than Amon. Yeah, maybe they might be about the same age. Yeah, and maybe like Beverly Johnson, Amon, mm-hmm, and her mm-hmm. might all be the same. Uh, Be- Beverly Johnson is the first black woman to ever be on the cover of Vogue. In case the girls didn't know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but was was interesting, like you know, and I love that like black, you know, kind of mentorship is support, especially from a black woman for like someone who was a black queen. I just love that. Um, but unfortunately, you know, Miss New York did not work out for her. And it was so interesting because basically she got into Parsons, like the famous fashion school in New York. Uh, but because, as you know, Patrick Kelly, his last name is Kelly, they thought he was Irish. So basically they had given him a scholarship. But once they found out he wasn't Irish, they took it away. Um, oh, my God. Yes, girl. Oh. So that's that, you know, girl, the girl. Black History Month tea, girl. The, the white people be do, been doing some shenanigans for a long time. <laughs> yeah, girl. <laughs> Uh, but you know, in some ways it's like, it worked out because then she got him that one way ticket and was like, go to Paris. And of course we're thinking about Paris has kind of always been a kind of safe haven for black Americans. Thinking about Josephine Baker, who found success there. Thinking about James Baldwin escaping the racism at the time to go there as well. Um, so he went there and it was still a hustle. Like it wasn't just like all of a sudden he just got big over there. Um, he was still like, you know, selling coats on the street. And he had this quote saying like, oh, I sell coats on the street because, you know, the people can't change the dresses on the street. Um, oh, she was and- rolling racks down the street and stuff. Yeah, honey, she was doing whatever she needed to do. Yeah, this is a girl. true hustler. Like- oh, she was doing like how they, like, like <laughs> some of like the girls do in New York, like some of the African uh-huh, girls. Yeah. Be- like, Packing up the briefcase or the suitcases and stuff. Okay, but girl, not girl, but I girl, you, you. But you, girl, you know that title. Even the like, you know, the early like black designers used to do stuff like that too. Like, That's you know, get that clothes in front of people however you That's can. That's beat, girl. Um, That's beat. And basically, like, the thing that really changed her, um, you know, one of the, the, one of the people who really changed her life for her in Paris was a gentleman by the name of, I don't know how to say this, BJ. Let's see. Wait. How do you say Bjork? So Bjorn, I think Bjorn. Bjorn Amelan. Amelan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So who would become, like, her lifelong lover um, and basically, like, confidant, friend, and supporter. Um, they met at a dinner party and basically, like, he became his champion and, like, started supporting him with, like, you know, getting his uh, clothes into boutiques. Um, from there he started getting like endorsed by like places like French L and just getting kind of more fame. Cause it was just something where like already, you know, the French have this attraction to like black American sensibility. Cause we already mm-hmm. talked about that history of like us going over there. So there's something, you know, they don't treat all blacks like that. No, they don't. <laughs> they do not. No, they don't. About, because those oh. French black people are not treated that well there to me. And, and, uh, and, and black people from West Africa who settle in France, like mm-hmm. from the French colonies, Girl, they are not. I don't. They are not treated well. But <laughs> no. we we have a certain amount of Black uh, American privilege when we there, go over there. Yeah, yeah sure. and I, in some ways, he was able to bank on that because there was something about what he the type of designs he was doing. And I guess I should go into that now. It's like he was doing. He one. He was doing things that were very like about black culture so he was inspired about like you know sunday service like black churches and things like that so he was always remembering like you know well maybe if you don't know but you know a black church you know the ladies come in those big sunday hats so he would bring Mm -hmm. have these women on the runways with like big hats you know buttons has always been my grandmother was about that life Mm -hmm. that was her biggest she she bought lady love a a church hat a church hat she bought a new one like every probably Mm -hmm. at least every every other week she bought a new hat for church so he would have his 
models go down these big wide brim hats um like as we talked about the buttons being really symbolic so you do these really interesting like you know different designs incorporating buttons um and just black culture but the big thing that also got him a lot of attraction was his um his tendencies to kind of try and reappropriate this kind of racist imagery so he like you know he recreated that famous josephine baker like banana skirt dress uh but he would also incorporate like watermelons which is of course a stereotypical thing that supposedly black people eat when it's really a, everybody eats watermelons. Um, he he would do like piccaninny dolls, which are kind of those think about those um, symbolic like nappy haired um, black dolls that were often used to like make fun of black people. Um, the other big thing was um, the gollywog, which is I never knew that's what it was called, but it's that image of that really dark skin, almost black face, and it's got like you know the red lips and a big smile with the white teeth. Um, yeah, I never knew what that was called. Mm-hmm. I never knew what that was called. That's so it was interesting. Because that's his, basically that. his whole thing was trying to like almost like how you know there's that movement of like taking back the n word, like taking back like right. nigger, like to say nigger and things like that. He was trying to kind of take back these images that were used to harm us and kind of reappropriate them and own them in a way. Um, now there were some people whether didn't think it was successful but before we get to that it just worked like just him the black culture sensibility um so he just you know his fame grew there to the point where he basically became a millionaire um you know he did partly off of a deal he made with a big fashion conglomerate called warnerco did i say that right warnerco yeah you said that right um Like that deal he made with them was around five million. Um, he was having yearly sales of about seven million dollars, um, and he became one of the first Americans um, admitted to. I'm not even going to try and say it. Uh, okay, I'll say. I'll say <laughs> so it. You say it, girl. The, yeah, the ch- Chambre Syndicale du Prêt à Porter, des Couturiers et des Créateurs du Mode. So Perfect. that's like the French governing body for the ready-to-wear industry. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and who else is in this? It's Yves Saint Laurent. Thinking about this girl started off working at Batik and now. She's literally in this, you know, prestigious French body that Issa Laurent belonged to, Chanel, Christian Dior. And the advantage that she got from being in this body was that she could, she did runways at the Louvre, you know, the famous um, museum. She was also a part of Paris Fashion Week. So girl was really serving it. Um, right. Yeah, Cause yeah you do, you have, yeah, you have to basically be a part of the syndicate this organization to, to show your clothes at Paris Fashion Week. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so this is a big deal. She's definitely the first black American to ever be featured uh, or to be a part of the syndicate to be able to show her shows. In, and like, I never knew Paris. about, yeah. and I never knew about this girl. It's funny. Cause I was mentioning how she got a, definitely got attention in France, but like, we weren't forgetting about her back home. Like she was on the cover of Essence. I think it was like on the 1989 cover with one of her models. And it's like, and thinking this is also a black queen. Like it's yes. so crazy. That I just didn't know about this girl. Did so you know she about was her? being celebrated. No, no. I'm in. No, I learned about her in 2020 girl reading an article <laughs> from vice. Mm-hmm. And I think, am I the one, am I the one who actually told you about this? Girl? Yes. Yes. Or, you are. Yeah. So from this vice article that I learned about her, I never heard of her because basically I don't personally remember anything before 1990. Like I was born in 1985 and I like, I can, I can trace back memories only to 1990, which is the year one of my brothers was born. Mm -hmm. So like if she was big in like 87, 88, 89, and then she died in 90, I wouldn't have known her as a kid. Like when she would have been, you know, featured in Ebony and Jet and Essence, which were magazines that 
my I remember my grandmother, mm. you know, and my godmother both would always have every issue of Jet and Ebony. Mm. Um and I and I don't remember like even hearing about this girl, but she was featured in all those black magazines that, you know, that black people used to really heavily subscribe to. And she was being celebrated by black America here back home, even as a black queen, which we mm-hmm. all know there was you know, there was major homophobia in the black community, especially at that time. Like, you know, she was being celebrated here back at home because she was doing big things in Paris. So that's amazing. Like And I think, you know, I'll get to why well, I, I think she she's not as well known. But before that, you know, I just want to say, you know, other things about, you know, she also thing about reappropriating these images like she also reappropriated like this idea of like servant and may and like aunt jemima which apparently is already i think they're taking away aunt jemima i think the pepsi yeah, brand is getting rid so. of it which i'm like so. okay girl like how about you put a black ceo up there but anyway um oh, sure yeah. give us some symbolic changes um but for him these images that he was doing they he felt that there was a power in them um, but as I said, not everyone agreed. One of his biggest critics was Miss Maya Angelou. Um, and she had this quote where basically like poison, no matter what kind of crystal bottle you wrap it in, is still poison. So for her, she's like, girl, you can try and reappropriate these images, but they're still racist. <laughs> but at the same- it's kind of like how Al Sharpton even now doesn't mm. think rappers or anyone should use the N word because mm. it's too the word has too much, you know, negative meaning in history and it can't be reappropriated for him is it like for him is it like so he's not again so he's not for like nigger or nigga he doesn't like in he remember he tried to bury the n-word back in the day Mm -hmm. he literally he tried to do the symbolic thing where he wanted to bury and the nigga or nigger either Mm -hmm. one he didn't want to use it Mm -hmm. anymore yeah yeah. Um, but despite her critiques of him, Maya Angelou was actually gonna even write a book about him. Like she even had like a she had like a proposed deal about him, which is just so crazy to think about. Um, but as I said, we don't really know or if she wasn't that's someone I was aware of. Um and I think it's probably because we lost her so soon. So she died at the age right. of thirty five. Right. Um due which to Which is how AIDS. old I am right now, girl. So that is oh, yeah, yeah, that is oh, wild to yeah. think about. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Like and it was due to AIDS-related complications. She died New Year's Day. Oh, my God. How depressing is that? Um, yeah. In 1990, right? 1990. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, And it made me think about this Fran Lebowitz quote from recent... There was an interview with her recently <laughs> where she's kind of coming at the fact that, like, sometimes we don't think about how many how many luminaries and how many amazing girls we lost to the AIDS crisis. Like some, she's kind of talking about like New York arts and basically like the people that are left were the people who weren't fun. Like all the people who were exciting and interesting and engaging, all those people died. Those were the girls out partying. Those were the girls out having sex and all those girls are gone. And it made me think about that. Um, And I think the fact that she did die so young, is just partly why she kind of fell out of public consciousness, but she's coming back partly, you know, there's been some exhibits that I'll mention, but there's also been with all the Black Lives Matter work with the um, George Floyd, um, you know, championing for George Floyd and racial justice. That's even been happening in the fashion industry with the Kelly Initiative, which was a letter signed by 250 members of the fashion industry, um, black members, of course. Um, and it was sent to the CFDA, which is the Council of Fashion Designers of America, basically the trade organization. Like they're the ones that put on like, you know, all the big like Metro Gala and shit like that are involved with that sort of thing. Um, and they basically was like saying like, you need one, we want y'all to do a census to tell us how many people, how many black people work at your companies. And we want you to do better. We want you to audit the member companies and the hiring practices. And of course, you know, they've been jumping around and saying, oh, we're going to do this and we're going to do more. There's still not been any definitive like sign up 
for them to try and do this initiative, but they're still pushing in the industry. And I think that's just even one example. There's just so many people that, you know, black designers today that have been inspired by him um, that I kind of, I've been on this kick of like looking at more black designers. So like Teflar Clemens, who has this like new bag that I can't afford right now. (laughs) Well, it would take a couple paychecks, but like has been really popular with his like fashion, high fashion, like bag designs. Like it's become the new kind of like go-to bag for um, a lot of women of all types to carry. Um, Pyre Moss, who incorporated like church choirs into um, their runway shows. Laquan Smith cites, you know, Patrick Kelly's inspiration, an example. He dressed Michelle Obama and Rihanna. Um, and like, you know, she's, you know, there's been, there was an exhibition way back in 2014 up in my home city of Philadelphia, the Museum of mm-hmm. Art. Uh, but what's exciting is that there's going to be one this fall, I think October, at the Young Museum in San Francisco. Um, and it's coinciding with the book um, that's coming out about him. So he's finally, he's finally getting his flowers. So Claudette's getting hers finally. and he's getting his, his is quite a bit after the fact. Um but it's exciting to have that come out, you know, in time with the book by, um, and it's going to have a lot of oral history and um, conversations from people, including um, formerly of Vogue and um, maybe soon to be homeless, Andre Leon Talley. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. No, no. Oh, no. I'm girl. sorry. Oh, that oh, wasn't right. That wasn't that right. That wasn't right. We'll talk about that later, girl. But, you know, it's. I'm glad they named this initiative after her to get, you know, to audit these these big fashion houses Mm -hmm. and 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 you know try to advocate for black talent and black creatives and black people Mm -hmm. executives in the fashion industry because that that's a one really great way to honor her legacy um miss patrick kelly but did you tell the girls who were all the some of the people not only was she recognized by the black community here in the u.s and ebony and um in ebony and jet and in essence magazines and she was featured in vogue in harper's bazaar magazines and l here in in the u.s too at that time in the 80s but who are some of the people she dressed girl who did she oh dress? my god i completely forgot that part that's the part that's the best part so she was dressed in aman naomi campbell madonna grace jones princess diana like girl what yes, um, yes. and two actresses that really i got a kick out of finding out was one who we had talked about before miss cecily tyson had worn his work and then wow. miss bet davis miss all about eve miss hollywood glamour bet davis betty davis sorry um wore mm-hmm. his stuff as well which is interesting like apparently his assistant had also worked for betty davis and somehow they just kind of became friends and like went to had a dinner party together and he was like hanging out with her like there's a great piece that um talks about that that i'll make sure to include in the links to the show um but yes it, that that part like so that crazy so thank you yeah, for that girl. girl she was a big deal so for her and you know i think what happened with her too is because like she showed i think she showed at paris fashion week in 1988 and then right before she was supposed to show in 1989 again in paris fashion week i think she got really sick and got diagnosed with hiv and then aids Mm. um and then died quick on like on new year's day 1990 so um i think you know so i think she had only like like gotten sick not too long Mm. before she passed away so she just had a very abrupt end to her life and career 
she knows a part of it too but um yeah. but i'm glad to know about her i'm glad you thank you thank you for telling me girl uh but yeah just especially and miss claudette as well like i kind of like i said i kind of knew there was somebody before miss rosa but um you know miss respectability rosa but we still love miss rosa we still love yeah we still love her and she's (laughs) she's you know a montgomery girl who became a detroit girl so i gotta live (laughs) in the parks she's a detroit girl she sat in the same i literally sat in a chair that she had sat in to work in i i literally sat in that chair and worked in that office i love that where she used to work yep uh, I started. She she retired from that office in 1995, and I was I was interning in that office in 2000. So mm-hmm. I I just I missed her by a few years. Well, I feel like you know I feel I feel better now, girl. I think we did those girls right now. What do you I think? think so. I think, we I did think better. so, girl. Yeah, way better, way better. <laughs> yeah, I already tell you're happy with this one. Um, so I think that's gonna be our show. Um. Follow us on, as always, on social media at To Save Queen, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. You know what it is. Um, I think we have to give a very, very special shout out to our good cousins, Michael and Estevan of Your Gay Cousins, who are celebrating their 100th episode. Um, Deborah and I are so proud of you girls. We know that this is just the beginning and y'all are so, it's so important and so valuable to have y'all voices out there and just love listening to you and supporting you. So, so happy about that. Um, do you have anything to add on that girl? Yeah, I love their 100th episode. I love the format out of it. I hope they do more episodes like that. We may eventually do an episode like that where we basically bring in, you mm-hmm. know, your voicemails, etc. So, yeah, but I their 100th episode is incredible. Go over to Your Gay Cousins and listen to it, please, yeah. on Spotify or, or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. Wherever podcasts are found. And with that, girl, do you have a final word? Do you yeah, remember girl. what do you remember what your final word was? <laughs> yeah, earlier show. <laughs> I I do not remember what. Oh, that okay, shit I was. remember it, but you have a new final word. <laughs> but girl, I'm gonna just tell you, girls. Okay, it might be the end of Black History Month, and we're going into Women's History Month. But girl, live your Black History every day. Go back and <laughs> and and make note and take note and make your scrapbook about that good that good dick that you had <sighs> if you're a black girl or that good black dick you had if you're not a if you're not a black girl. So. You know, you can celebrate your black history in your own way, girl. So, you know, make your scrapbooks, girl. Get your black history together, all right? All right, girl. 